from St. Mark's Gospel, and they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as one of the scribes. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Well, good morning, friends. If you've been here for a couple of weeks, you know that we've been in the season of Epiphany for the past four weeks, and we've been talking about this idea of Jesus' call on our lives. And it's one thing I want to disabuse people of is people think of a call as being this sort of mysterious thing that only certain people get, right? He's called to the priesthood or he's called to the holy orders. Well, that's true, but everybody has a call. And in fact, everybody has several calls, I would submit to you. I'm a priest, a husband, a father, Penn State fan. That's not really a calling. But all of us are called by Jesus. And why that's important is because this idea of calling is not some sort of mysterious supernatural mission from God. I guess it kind of is that. But it's actually the word duete, looked at this last week, is an invitation. And so what Jesus is actually saying to you and to me is literally, come here. We say, follow me. No, it's come here and I will change you. But this invitation, as we looked at last week, this invitation is costly. In fact, it costs you everything because you've got to give up the old man to become the new. I said this last week, and I stick by my words because it's the truth. Jesus is the most challenging and divisive person in human history because his invitation is to a radically new and changed life. Listen, under his authority, and nobody likes authority. We see it this morning in Jesus as a guest preacher at a, at a synagogue in Capernaum. And what we see in the people that listen to his preaching is a response to his authority. And there's only two. We see the, 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 authority, well, we see the authority of his call, and we'll get to that, it's super cool, and the response to it. So Jesus is the, the authority of Jesus' call then and now on them and you and me. And the reaction, and there's only two, to that call. So first thing, let's look at the authority of Jesus' call. You know, one of the cool things about spending a lot of time in Scripture and getting to dive in into the Greek and all that sort of rigmarole, the cool thing about it is you begin to see things you just never noticed before. And this is a case in point for me. Um, verse 1, and they, uh, they went into Capernaum. This is Jesus and the fishermen he just called, literally just called from the Sea of Galilee. We talked about that last week. Verse 1, and they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. So again, this is, it's a Saturday, not a Sunday, but they were actually doing the very same thing you're doing right now, which is sitting in a chair, listening to somebody ramble on from a pulpit, right? But Jesus is actually doing what they expected at the synagogue was a sermon. And the synagogues, uh, they could be big, but they didn't necessarily have to be. We saw one in Masada last, last summer, and it, was, it might have seated, I don't know, 50 people, right, crammed in. But the point is, this group of people had invited Jesus, this itinerant preacher, to come and share the word. Now, whether it's because he was famous, or maybe infamous is a better word, uh, whether they had heard about him, or heard him preach before, or he happened to be in, in town, they're like, well, we need somebody, so put that guy in the bench. I don't know. But either way, Jesus gets into the box, and whatever he said, and we don't know what he said, but whatever he said, he made him, he made him squirm. 
It's, it's right there. I just had never noticed this before. And in the Greek, it's a little clearer. But I'll show this to you. Mark says that the people were astonished at his teaching. For, which means because, gar in Greek, because he taught them as one who had authority and not as one of the scribes. They were astonished. You know, that word astonished, we think of like, wow, Jesus is a really good preacher. He's so dynamic or whatever. That's actually a total misreading of that Greek word. That Greek word there is the word ekleso. And it means like stricken with awe, jaw dropping. You ever been somewhere and you're listening to a, uh, someone talk about a politics or something? And this has happened to Kathy and I. And my wife will like give me an elbow and go, did that guy just say what I thought he said? You ever had that happen to you? Or, you, you know, or someone says something and you, just, and you go, what in the world is wrong with that guy? What in the world is he talking about? That's the idea. They're not astonished like in a, in a receptive way. They're astonished in, a, in, a, in an uncomfortable and an offensive, an offensive way. Well, why? Well, he preaches with authority. Not as a scribe. And let me just clarify what that means. <laughs> to be honest with you, I preach as a scribe. And what I mean by that is when I, when I preach a gospel, any, any biblical preacher worth his salt, if he's a biblical preacher at all, preaches not his own personal opinion, his thoughts on world peace and whatever, um, but rather what, what a good preacher does is he preaches Scripture. And so therefore my preaching has authority because I'm preaching what is authoritative, which is the Word of God. You with me? So my authority and my preaching as a biblical preacher is a, is a derived authority, right? I don't get to make it up. I don't get to tell you what I happen to think about a particular topic. My job as a preacher, a biblical preacher, is to preach Scripture as the Word of God, and this has the authority. But that's not what Jesus is doing. Mark says they're astonished because he preaches with authority and not as one of the scribes. So what's going on? This is mind-blowing. I'd never noticed this before. Because Jesus is doing something radically different. Listen. He taught with his own authority. He doesn't teach like I do as a scribe, a teacher of the Bible. He doesn't teach as a, he doesn't, he doesn't preach as a teacher of the Bible. He preaches as its author. Let that sink in. And the reason that's important is because they see, whatever he said to them, and we don't know, I do actually think that, that what he says is left out for our sake, because we can project all of our own, own junk into that, and I'll get to that in a moment. But whatever he said, whatever he said, it made him squirm. It made him squirm. And the reason it made him squirm, whatever it was, is because they knew he was right. You've been there. I've certainly been there. I've been there with my own preaching. I thought, gosh. But the point is, you see, when, some, when Jesus confronts them with something, they, are, they squirm because they know he's right and they know they've got to make a change. Let me, let me ask you a question. When was the last time that you were shocked, scandalized, maybe even offended? That's a better word, offended. Jaw dropped by something that Jesus said to you. When you read something in Scripture, it usually revolves around sexuality or money or something like that right? But the whole idea is that you hear something written in Scripture or forgiveness. That's another one people don't like to hear about. Uh, what? Something that makes you uncomfortable. I, I'll, I'll share this with you. Uh, this time of the year, it, it happens every year, and so I'm, I kind of wait for it. But at this time of the year, I hear through the grapevine. I never, heard, I never hear it firsthand. I hear it through the mill, right? 
all Father Rodriguez talks about is money. And that's actually not true. And I, if you were here a couple of weeks ago when I kicked off the stewardship campaign, I said to you, and I, and I repented and I meant it, I don't talk about money as, nearly as much as Jesus does. I talked about that a few weeks ago. But I do talk about money this time of the year because this is stewardship season and this is what we talk about for the, this week and then we're done. All he talks about is money. But, what that, but actually, stop and think about that for a minute. Why, why does that bother people? And, and I also said to you, it bothered, I don't like talking about money. I don't like preaching about it. This is my own, my own baggage to carry, too, for that matter. But what that tells me, you see, why Father Rodriguez talks about money, is that money and parting with it, dealing with God's possessions that he has given to us as stewards, it makes people uncomfortable. It offends us. Maybe it offends you. It certainly offended me for a long time. Maybe the idea of the tithe, been talking about this for the past couple of weeks, giving 10% of your income to the work of the church. Maybe that makes you uncomfortable and angry. Maybe it makes you squirm. And maybe you go home and sort of, ah, I don't want to think about that. Well, just do yourself a favor and just wrestle with that gut check. That is what Scripture teaches. This is not, I am preaching as a scribe. I am telling you what the Word of God says about giving. Take it or leave it. It's up to you. But you've got to wrestle with these things which cause us to wrestle and struggle. You know, one of the great tragedies, and I don't use that word lightly, I mean that. One of the great, maybe a better word would be uh, sadnesses, or, or yeah, tragedy's good. One of the great tra- tragedies of our culture is our unwillingness to be offended. And that might sound funny to you, but what I mean by that is, is this, that some of the best advice you will ever get in your life, certainly in my case, some of the best counsel you will get from someone who loves you and has your best interests at heart is when you are offended. I'll give you an example. I'll never forget this. And this is a long, this is 15 years ago. I was the rector of Trinity Church in Red Bank, New Jersey, in, in uh, not, well, pretty far from here. I was there for six years, and I've been there maybe two, three years. And uh, like, you know, churches are not always clean and fun and easy, right? It can be a pretty rough job sometimes. And I had some problem with some parishioners. I cannot remember what it was. Maybe it's PTSD, I don't know, but I don't remember. And, uh, and I called Bishop Salmon. Bishop Salmon, is there, he's dead now, but he was the retired bishop of South Carolina, the dean of Neshota House, and just, he was a friend of mine, and I loved him, and he, he was wise and loved me too. And so I knew I could call him for advice. Anyway, so I pick up the phone, I call him. He takes my call at Neshota House, and he was from Mississippi, and he could turn on the Southern when he had to. And I said, hello, Bishop. Well, good morning, Father. That's how he talked, for real. And, uh, and I said, Bishop, I've got a problem. Okay, well, go ahead. Tell me what's going on. And so I can't remember what it was, but I went on for like 20 minutes just ranting and complaining about all the people in my parish that, I forget even what it was, that something was going on, some conflict from some variety. And, uh, and I said, what am I going to do? I can't believe these people are acting this way. And I'm trying to fix it, and, and these two people keep fighting. And, and he said to me, well, Father, and I will never forget these exact words. This is what he said to me. Well, Father, it sounds like your people have a crisis of leadership. Exactly. And I'm like, yeah, wait a minute. You old goat, you're talking about me. And he was. I remember, like, it took me a second. I said, are you talking about me? He says, yes, I am. (laughs) 
I, will, I was offended. I was astonished. I was ecclesio, right? Jaw dropped. I couldn't believe it. But he, he and, and quite truthfully, Father, Bishop Salmon meant it to be offensive. He meant to rock my world a little bit, not because he didn't love me, but because he did love me. I had to take responsibility and make, and make the changes in that, which I did do, and make the changes in that situation to fix it. And I did, and it wasn't clean. I remember what it was now, actually. But here's the thing, and, and, and I want to say this to you as your pastor, as your priest. If something in the Bible offends you, makes you really squirm, makes you wrestle about money or tithing or sex or lying or gossip or alcohol or whatever it might be, I don't know. Gossip, whatever, fill in the blank. We've all got stuff. The point I want you to see here is if it offends you, it's probably because it's something you need to address in your life. You know it. God knows it. And you run from it. And God is saying to you, stop. For God's sake, he's saying, listen to me. I mean, Jesus loves you after all, right? He loves me. He loves you. He loves all of us. He wants what's best for me and for you. Sometimes what's best for me is not necessarily what I think is best for me. That's another matter. But the point is, you see, when God gives us these offensive, challenging, jaw-dropping ideas in Scripture, listen to him. There's huge wisdom and value in that. Huge because Jesus teaches with authority, point number one. And then my second point is the reaction to his authority. So he's, he's preaching in the synagogue, and he is, preaching, he is preaching with his own authority, teaching who knows what. And there's a man in the synagogue who's possessed by a demon. I also said this once in my parish in Red Bank. I said, I guess, folks, I guess to show you that sometimes there are demons in church. And they didn't like that at all. Uh, anyway, but that's another matter, right? So anyway... There's a, a person in the, in the church that has, is possessed by a demon. And while the people are sort of scratching their heads and wondering, what is he talking about? And I don't, I'm not sure I like this guy. The demon in that man knows exactly who he is. Let me show you something here. Mark says, immediately, the man with the unclean spirit, a demon, cried out to Jesus and says, this is actually cool. What have you to do with us? It's one guy. There's more than one demon in that fella. What have, you to do, what, are you, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? I know who you are. Now, you might not know this, but that I know who you are, I know who you are, the demon says, the Holy One of God. And, and Jesus says, um, shut up, basically rebuke. It's a strong word. But what you might not know is that to assert a, a being's name in spiritual warfare is to assert authority over it. So I'll give you an example. When, uh, when Jesus confronts another demoniac by the Sea of uh, Gradsda, and the demoniac, uh, um, Gerasim demoniac runs up to him and says, I know who you are. He just says, shut up. Well, tell me your name. You see what I'm saying? Jesus says, tell me your name. And he says, we are legion. Well, what's going on? Well, what you probably wouldn't know is that to assert a person's name, that you know their name, is to assert authority over them. And so what this demon is trying to do is he sees the authority Jesus is portraying and teaching with, and he refuses it. And that's the key. I know who you are. He, he, Jesus has taken him, the demon rather, is taking Jesus to task. It's a power play. Satan hates authority outside of his own. And it's no different today. No different today. The animus in our culture against Christ, against Christians, and increasingly, that's us, the body of Christ, literally, that's us. The animus is, is 
clear and getting worse. See, you can get offended at Jesus. Jesus is a certain assertion of authority. People are astonished or they're angry. You can get offended by Jesus. You can try to assert authority over him. You can dismiss him. You can say all sorts of things to try to debunk his authority, like the demon does. Or you can accept his authority over you as the son of God and do the hard work of making the change in your life. One of the things that makes a life fruitful is to be under the authority of Jesus. What I mean by that is you do what he says. When he calls you, you do it. One of the things that makes anything successful in this life is that we live under the authority of Jesus. You know, we were at Dyson Convention yesterday. Remind me next year not to do convention, for a, not to do annual meeting and Dyson Convention the same week. I don't know what I was thinking. But anyway, we, we had Dyson Convention yesterday. Bishop Holcomb, our new bishop, is a friend of mine and an awesome guy. He had his address, and he said, this was astounding. I did not know this. He said, in the past 10 years, ready for this? The Episcopal Church has dropped by, wait for it, 43% in average Sunday attendance. 43% in 10 years. In any other work, line of work, you'd be fired for that. Not, not, I don't mean the diocese, I mean the, church, the Episcopal Church in general. And the reason I say that to you is because while the Episcopal Church has declined, and a lot of churches are declining in, in, in numbers, this parish continues to grow. Stronger than ever. And I don't say that as a matter of look at, look at what we're doing pridefully at all. I say it simply because there's only one reason why that is. And that's because we live, we strive to live under the authority of Jesus. Trinity grew by 20% last year. In aver- the average Sunday attendance, the number of people in a pew on a Sunday. We grew by 20%. Trinity continues stronger than ever. And it's only for one reason. One reason. Because we take Jesus' authority seriously here. We try to live under it. You know, in a few minutes, I'm going to introduce you to Greg Strader, whose uh, whose family came to our preschool. I'm going to talk about this at the annual meeting. I hope you can make it to the meeting today. And they joined the preschool. He'll tell you his own story. And they've subsequently joined the parish. And the reason that they were attracted to this parish is because we live under the authority of Jesus. Is that fair, Greg? Our Sunday school program has grown from, ready for this, in a year, one year, 21 kids on a Sunday to 50 in one year, thanks to the amazing Katie Rod- or Kathy Rodriguez, I might add, no, I'm kidding. Our preschool and our elementary school are full. Our parochial school here, if you don't know this, the school is a parochial school, meaning the church and the school are completely intertwined. My clergy, uh, Father Gritter and Father Jordan, teach chapel every week. We are are thoroughly integrated with the life of these students and their families. And the reason this place is growing in that regard is because we take Jesus' authority seriously and we strive to live under it. We don't do woke, we do Jesus. Amen? We're going to continue to add a grade a year up through eighth grade. Again, more later on at the annual meeting. And we've got big plans. Well, we'll see how that shakes out. Our next project is going to be uh, one of the, I had a couple of years ago, I was praying, Lord, what are we going to do here? What can we do to serve this community and build up the kingdom of God here in Vero Beach? I got two answers. You know what they were? Build a school and build a Christian counseling center. 
If anybody here, many of you, everybody knows someone who wrestles with mental wellness, right? I like mental wellness better than mental, mental illness, frankly, the term. But every, we all, everybody in this room knows someone who wrestles with mental wellness. The Lord said to me, we need a Christian counseling center. And so I've been praying about this for years. And just uh, last month, a, a prisoner called me and said, Father Chris, we're going to give you a piece of property. It's right down the street here. We're going to give this to you. We're going to transfer that over to Trinity Church, and you can use that for whatever you want. I said, well, great, because one of the things on my mind is a counseling center down the road. That's what I was thinking. And then just last week, I got a phone call from someone who says, you know, I heard you talking about this counseling center, and I'm going to give you an anonymous gift of $700,000 to build a building. It's amazing. And there's only one reason. You know why? We live under the authority of Jesus. And we're serving the people of this community. We are, we are, you know, decline is not inevitable. Decline is, I mean, for crying out loud, Jesus says the gates of hell will not prevail against us. What are we so afraid of? That's the reason the church is in decline. We refuse to live under the authority of Jesus and believe him when he says, go and I'll provide for you. Just step out. Trust me. Take my call and go and I'll make it happen. It's only because, friends, we live under the authority of Jesus and that we are obedient as a parish. We are obedient to his call. So, friends, where does that leave us today? Simple. Jesus teaches with authority then and now. He calls us with authority then and now. He inv- <laughs> the cool thing is he invites us to be part of his mission, to be his hands and his feet and his body in this world that so desperately needs it. Only he can change the world And he does it one human soul at a time, starting with you. And he calls you. He calls me. He calls us, individually and corporately, to follow him. Come here. Watch what I can do in, on, and through you. But trust me. Stop the complaining, he says. Stop the fear. Stop the hesitation. And trust me. Listen to my call. And be the solution that Christ wants to visit into this world. Shall we pray? Father, we thank you for Jesus who calls us to be his disciples, who calls us with authority to follow where he leads us. Help us, Lord, to have, help us have the courage to trust you, the, uh, the confidence and the joy at serving you in all that we do. In your name we pray. Thank you for tuning in to our Trinity Episcopal Church podcast. To find out more about the work God is doing through Trinity, visit us online at trinityvero.org and follow us on Facebook.